what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Across from me is Chris. Hello everyone. Welcome. Yeah, Chris, we got a good show planned today for this episode of Foot Candle Films. We're going to be talking about movies, believe it or not. Don't know if you realize that. Yeah, that is kind of the topic we're going to go into today. As always, our film review and discussion show where we pick uh, two to three films that we have to review each episode. We always try to bring in uh, some movie news whenever we can to discuss with uh, with each other. And then we always end the show with a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out or revisiting in case uh, maybe you've forgotten it or maybe it's just one we want to bring to your attention. So, Chris, today's episode, no exception. We're going to stick right to the, the rigid format that I just explained. We are going to have two movie reviews to discuss. Uh, first, we'll be discussing the latest Star Wars story, not Star Wars episode, but a Star right. Wars story, which is Solo. Uh, directed you don't by, have to keep up with numbers. That's right. No numbers to deal <laughs> with. Just numbers. everything's in that Star Wars story umbrella. It's this film Solo, directed by Ron Howard. And then we're going to have a review of another kind of big franchise movie that came out just recently. Uh, The latest from pseudo Marvel. It's really technically from 20th Century Fox, but with partnership and Marvel, it is Deadpool Doe or two um, that we're going to be discussing as well. So that's the two films for today, Solo and Deadpool 2. Then we'll have a couple movie news items to discuss and our recommendations at the end of the show. So Chris, you ready to get started? Yes, let's do it. All right, great. Well, let's move on to our first review then, which, as I mentioned, is the latest uh, part of the Star Wars anthology series, the Star Wars stories, and this one is simply Solo. You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. (laughs) Chris, we have a production here, a film that we're going to be discussing that has a, a little bit of an interesting history to it right now. Um... For those that maybe aren't aware, Solo is the latest Star Wars story, which is this way of uh, the Star Wars universe having an anthology series. Meaning these are standalone movies. They're not meant to be episodic. They're not meant to be part of the canon of movies. But they all still take place in the same universe. We had a recent example of this with Rogue One about maybe two years ago, maybe three. Maybe, um, yeah. It was in between episode seven and eight. Correct. It came out, Rogue One. Um, which we both reviewed. I think, Chris, you were higher on it than I was, but we were both positive. Right. Um, saw it as a good entry into the Star Wars canon, but I think you got a little more out of it than I did. So here's the second one of these Star Wars stories. 
This production has an even more interesting backstory to it. Rogue One had a little controversy there, too. Supposedly, the Gareth Edwards director was replaced at the last minute, not made a big spectacle about it, but brought in someone else to finish some scenes of the film because right. they weren't really happy with the tone of the film. Right. Here in it was Solo. Too, too dark. Maybe too dark. Right. Here in Solo, we actually have a much more public uh, issue that took place. Um, we had the two directors that were assigned, uh, Lord and Miller, who were assigned to direct the film, supposedly got almost all the way done completed. The Lego movie guys. Yeah, Lego movie guys. Uh, they also did 21 Jump Street and the sequel for that and, and a few other properties that they've had some good success with. So the Star Wars uh, powers that be decided they didn't like the way the film was coming together. So they canned those directors. Basically, almost after principal shooting was done, very little was left to do. And they hired good old reliable Ron Howard to come in. Rumor is that Ron Howard shot 70% of the film himself again. So very little left of the Lord Miller version of, of Solo. And we have most of it now Ron Howard. What that did, though, is inflate the production budget. Now is a $250 million production. Which, the internet is always true. Oh, Everything yeah. you read on it is always correct. Absolutely. I saw this morning um, that supposedly, well, not supposedly, it's on the internet, it's true. This is the ninth most expensive film ever made. Yes, because basically they made it twice. I mean, that's the way you <laughs> think about it. would make it pretty That would expensive. make it pretty darn expensive. <laughs> sure. And it's a Star Wars movie, which is going to be a little more pricey to begin with. So, Chris, all this drama aside, when you enter the movie theater and you sit down and you pay your ticket and you watch the film, the drama needs to go away and you're just so left with a film. Right. So my question to you is simple. Put aside all the drama, put aside all the backstory, all the business dealings. A, was Solo a necessary piece of the Star Wars canon? Was it a necessary piece of this whole Star Wars puzzle? And even if it wasn't, does it help or hurt the Star Wars brand having this film out there? So I turn it over to you now, okay. Mr. Fry. Both extremely loaded questions and yes. brings to mind a third question I want to ask you. Yes. But I'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So first off, was it completely necessary? No, probably not. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but does it devalue the you know Star Wars franchise? That was kind of your second question, right? Yeah, it right? was. No. Um, so I would say no. Okay. Um, and that brings me to my question kind of to you, which kind of surrounds this movie. We touched on a little bit with Last Jedi. I'm just really fascinated by how Star Wars fandom has kind of gone dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what I mean by that is it just seems like Last Jedi comes. I mean, Force Awakens came out. It was, you know, okay received. There were some grumblings about, oh, it's just, you know, rehashing stuff. There's nothing really new and original about it. Okay, but overall, like, high rock, still high rock happy tomatoes, to see, high, yeah. Happy to see the spirit of the franchise come back. Correct. Yeah. You know, Rogue One, yeah, people were kind of mixed on, but didn't really dwell on it too much. Well, because they didn't see it as a, a true Star Wars, like, <laughs> you know, major film. Right. But, yeah. Then comes Last Jedi. Just ridiculously divisive, seemingly. I've never seen people so angry yeah. about a movie. Yes. Um, and I thought maybe that was just kind of, you know, a blip on the Star Wars radar. Then comes Solo. Before I even went to go see the movie, it had kind of started all over again. Yeah. There were people that were just railing against it, like, I don't want any more prequels. So angry. And that's what's got me so confused about this franchise and why it brings out the anger, I guess because it has the deep seated love of the movies. Yeah. But 
if you like the original movies, nobody's taking those away from you. True. They still, you still have them on DVD. You can still stream them or whatever. They're still there. They're not going away. Mm -hmm. Lucas did change them at one point, but you can still usually find the original versions. It's okay. Like, just relax. So, (laughs) you know, Solo to me, I liked it. Is it necessary? I mean, what does that even mean? Like, you know, if you want to learn some backstory about Han Solo, go see it. Oh, but what if it's not the backstory you thought it should have? Well, too bad you're not a well-paid screenwriter yeah. to write a movie. Go, like, go to film school and right. learn how to write a film. <laughs> I just, I just so, yeah, don't I get, get the deep-seated – like, and I think – and we'll get to our likes and dislikes about mm-hmm. this film. But to start off with, I think that's what you and I try to do when we talk about a film. It's too easy to just say like, oh, I hate it, and then just start railing against like how bad it was. You have to give supportive – Details And you and I, I think, also usually try to say positive things, even if the film we didn't like overall, we'll try to use, usually at least shine a light on yeah. at least some positive aspects. So, you know, Solo. Is it necessary? No. But, I mean, to me, I guess if you were to say what's necessary in the Star Wars story, yeah, usually I think about, as you were saying, the ones that are in the episode rankings because that was telling a progression. I look forward to episode nine because supposedly that's going to wrap it all up, but that's not to say I don't enjoy, you know, sidelines, the little side stories. Well, maybe the word necessary wasn't the best word. I I will say this rogue one. I felt like had more impact on the overall star Wars story because I felt like it kind of helped to not, I don't want to say explain, but it helped to give more depth to some parts of the Star Wars canon. Okay, I will say Solo eh, didn't do anything for the rest of the canon. I mean, I, I it's one of those movies where you could take it or leave it, like whether you have it there or not have it there, and it makes no real impact. Rogue One had a little impact, a little bit that I felt like it maybe helped elevate a New Hope a little bit to I, some degree. I can, Solo didn't really do anything, and I think. Um, I think, you know, we often talk about expectations and going into films and (laughs) if anything, the dark side of the Star Wars fandom did me a big favor with Solo Mm -hmm. because of all the stuff about the directors being switched and how he had to come in. I was not aware Ron Howard had to shoot 70% of it over again, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of amazing. Um, There were rumors or grumblings about... Out in Ehrenreich, who has to take on playing Han Solo, which, you know, my goodness, trying to do a Harrison Ford That's character. a big, heavy lift right it there. It is. Yeah. And there were supposedly rumors that he had had to take more acting classes, <laughs> or it was just like, you know, all this just wheel turning and teeth grinding and just like... You know, which, people, self-admittedly, some of it I brought up as news <laughs> items in this no, very you, show here, but, you know, no, yes. but... Right, you did, but it's not, you do just for a time. I, know, I it's did. It's not like for a topic. I hear you grumbling around in the hallways. It was just, not being brought up in a method to try to bring down this this no. this film and talk trash about it before you it would came say, out. "Oh, I'm nervous, yeah. but I still can't wait yeah. to see it." You know, and I think all that being said, I, Rogue One, because of how it fit in, like, oh, you're going to learn about how the plans were started. Yeah, it, it did have a little bit more impact, gave a little bit more weight. There's a little more weight to it. But the solo movie, all I was expecting is just kind of comes out in the summer. It's going to be kind of a fun summer little yep. movie and it doesn't really quote unquote matter. It's just kind of fun. And True. that's kind of how I took it now to kind of get into some of my criticisms. So lest you think, I think it's like a perfect movie. And my daughter says it's the best star Wars movie 
in her opinion. Which, but I mean, is that more a kid immediacy effect where it's like, probably. I know with my kids, it's like normally Absolutely. the last film they saw was like the best film ever <laughs> made. So, well, right. she didn't feel that way about Last Jedi. And apparently I learned huh. she did not like Rogue One at all. Really? Um, well, I can see that. Kids kids don't don't deal with Rogue One as well. So, right. Yeah. But uh, she, she likes Solo. So I will say the first, and we'll try to remain relatively spoiler free like we sure. always do for our listeners. The first 10 minutes or so, I was a little nervous. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from uh, you were just kind of dropped in a situation and things are happening kind of fast, which can be exciting. But because you feel like, wait, I'm supposed to know kind of what's mm-hmm. going on here. And Solo's kind of running around doing stuff, and I didn't really understand what was going on, I'll say, until he gets separated from somebody. Yeah. And then after that, it was like, you know, then the gear shift got firmly into third or fourth gear, and things started to like, okay, now things are happening. I felt like things started progressing. I will admit that first, the first 15, 20 minutes was pretty shaky. You just... It just didn't feel like it was really well put together in a way to let us know what we were watching and why. And it was like, I get it. You know, you're kind of starting off with somewhat of a, I guess, action sequence, but it's like, you still felt like you needed to understand what was going on. Well, and I mean, we're supposed to understand where this character is at this point early in his life, like where he is status wise. And it's really unclear. It was like, we think he's kind of like a, (laughs) like an orphan type of almost like a, you know, um, yeah, it was just it was an odd situation. It's, the setup was, but yet kind he was of older weird. than everybody else around him at this whole place, <laughs> right? And, like, and he and the girl he's dating, and it's like, yeah, it really didn't give us a whole lot of understanding the depth, and it just kind of threw us into this thing. And you're right, it wasn't until two main characters are separated, which kind of I think that's when the actual title came up, if I remember correctly, or pretty close. Yeah. It's like that's when okay, now I feel like the movie is actually kind of going into a plot, and I can start to follow it a little bit more. Right? Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. And so it was just, I guess, kind of jarring for me because no other Star Wars movie mm-hmm. that we've ever seen, whether it be a standalone or in the series, I've ever felt like I was lost yeah, at the beginning of it. And it made me kind of nervous. And I don't know if it was because of things having to be reshot or script problems or what, you know, I'm just, I don't know. But I just, I was, I will admit, I was a little worried like, oh, this is, this is going to be bad. Yeah, it looks like this, this, could, be, be this could be a mess. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But um, it, it, for me, it was able to uh, pull out of that. And I, overall, I liked it. I enjoyed the, the performances. Mm-hmm. I thought Aaron Reich was fine as, as Solo. You know, the thing with him is, is he, was a, he was an odd Han Solo. I never feel like they should ever have to feel like they got to mimic the actor mm. that played the character before. I'm perfectly fine with them taking it and kind of doing their own thing with it. Gotcha. He was somewhere in the middle. It's like most of the time I'm watching him, I'm like, he's not Harrison Ford, but I'm okay with that. Sure. But then he would have these moments where he was very clearly mimicking the Harrison Ford Han Solo. And for me, it was a little jarring. It's like, no, I'd rather you just kind of keep with the whole thing thing you were doing. Right. Don't even try to like have the little flash of mimicking him because that's kind of throwing me off a little bit. Um, I thought he was good. Okay. Considering the fact that he was acting under two set, different sets of directors, true, uh, with two different cinematologies, and he'd already done and how it this, the movie once, right? And now he's going back and doing, and it. you know, and there's all this internet criticism about sure. supposedly how acting he, how his acting jobs are. I thought he was good. Yeah. I thought he was fine. I thought he was enjoyable. I liked his version of Han Solo in general. Mm-hmm. Is he the Harrison Ford version? No, but was he ever going to be? No. I think given what he was given, I, I, I think he was fine. 
as as solo and i enjoyed watching them so yeah i'm with you on that too you know because i guess i wasn't taking the film too seriously Mm -hmm. um the things that are also things that i liked about the film i liked kind of the there again i'll dance around specifics so as not to spoil anything Mm -hmm. um i liked the meeting of chewbacca yeah i liked the circumstances of which you've been told about getting the millennium falcon but kind of how that plays out in certain aspects. Yeah. You didn't like that. Well, no, I did. I I thought the writing was really clumsy around that section of the film. That was actually going to be one of my criticisms. Hmm. I think when they get to the point of meeting Lando and there's all the plan of what they're trying to do when they meet Lando, the reason they're going to Lando, it was all very kind of really reaching for a lot of different things. And Hmm. I felt the tiding, I felt the writing really kind of getting loose at that point. And it's just, we know we need to get them to this point. So let's figure out some simple way to get there. And it, I didn't, it didn't work for me writing wise, but Hmm. I enjoyed the scene. I really enjoyed uh, Lando. I enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, Donald Glover right. uh, as Lando. I thought I was really too. good. Yeah. He was definitely going more for an impersonation of the Billy D. Williams version, which I was fine with. I think that's a classic character. Well, you got to kind of embrace it. Lando is kind of because he's he is in obviously the old movies, but he doesn't have a lot of scenes, and he's kind of playing. Yeah, a, you know, I mean, everybody's playing a character, but he's kind of playing a stereotype, you know, and I think. I was fine with. I was fine with the way yeah, Donald I was fine with the way they too. played the character. It's there. interesting. I I, I I I hear what you're saying about mm-hmm. the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon part, but um, I liked it because I thought I knew what was happening, and then true, and they then did pull a few uh, different changes. Turned. Some yeah. things turned, but um, overall, I just felt yeah. You know, anyway, it's more of a spoiler thing the, the the specifics of it, but I did think yeah, you know, I haven't really kind of given my overall impression on the, on the film. I. Liked it. I thought it was fun. Sure. I thought it was good, light, breezy entertainment and nothing too heavy. I feel like you didn't really have to put a lot of thought into it. I thought the characters were all enjoyable and and the acting was good. Um, I did feel like the writing was kind of slapdash at times. I just felt like there were some moments where there's a lot of leaps of logic and faith and a lot of just jumping through kind of random situations to get to the next plot point that I felt hmm. like were a little more wow. obvious than I saw in most Star Wars movies. I didn't feel that way yeah. at all. That's really um, surprising. Yeah, so I think I'm coming out overall more positive. I tell you yeah. what, something else that I've heard a couple of people say, and this is kind of the defining moment to me of which way you lean. Let's see if it is for Alan. Okay. You get a name origin. Oh, oh yep. Knew it. He rolled. Okay, for <laughs> listeners, he rolled his eyes, Here, and you, here's sir, the, you here's heard the him audible, say, "Here's oh, the audible God. version of what I just did." <laughs> yep, loved it. Did you loved it? Yep, loved it. Um, I did not. I loved it because it. Um, I, I loved it. I guess without Got spoiler my, territory, all I can say is I've similar things like that. I have heard of happening when people enroll for military service. Um, and actually I had somebody point out to me, somebody in your family had that happen to them where they were saying their name and then, and I was like, you know what? And I think, I don't think they were even playing it. Now this could be a remnant of the Lego people's like they go for last because that's kind of, and they're kind of not taking anything seriously with like the Lego movie. And maybe that's some remnants of their stuff that was in there that, 
if the movie comedic. itself was a little more comedic and a little right. more uh, fast and loose with the rules, I think that scene would have worked really well. Okay. It worked it for is, me. Well, it didn't work for me. And actually, even in the theater, that's one place where I heard some groans from other really? people. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Man, that's interesting. I just think it was, a, it was just so on the nose. It was just so, yeah. Um, huh. But you're right. It's a divisive thing. So I can see yeah, how some people enjoy it. I think my kids liked it. They thought it was kind of cool and funny how it happened. I'm like, eh, okay. Yeah. And then there's actually another pseudo name scene as well. Um, okay. Talking about a nickname. Yep. For another character that I also thought was kind of weak. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, and again, it's spoiler to talk about it, but <laughs> it's just, right. I did not mind the little, oh, here's how Han Solo got his blaster. Oh, here's how Han Solo got his this. All that I was cool with. Okay. I mean, the name I thought was weak, uh, the naming scene, and uh, and then the other nickname scene with another character I thought was also just I guess, really... I guess you could say it didn't bother me, but I can see the criticism. One name just, would have been one thing. Uh, Two names in the same film. It's like, well, I'm going to call you right. this. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I would have much rather those names come out more naturally through a situation. Like, you know, if you've got somebody who's a friend of yours, you know, and you and they have a name that you think is too long, you don't say to them, that name, yeah, I know, I'm going <laughs> to, this is going to be this now. Sure. You, it just kind of comes out naturally. Like you're in a tense situation and you shout out somebody's nickname. It's like, oh, that's what it is now. It does what sticks. So that bugged me a little bit. But the rest of the, the rest of the solo getting to know Han Solo things, the rest of the, here's how he got this. Here's how he got the Millennium Falcon. Here's how he got these. I was totally cool with all that. Everything was, worked for me. It was fine. It was good fan service to like well, see these things come together. And I felt know. like, you know, it was kind of like rogue one was like a heist film in yeah. a sense because they were going after trying to steal the plans this was them going after space fuel it was like basically. a criminal underworld type of thing yeah. and you know mm-hmm. and i kind of enjoyed that you know yeah. supposedly if you believe there again the internet which everything on it's true so why wouldn't you <laughs> um this was kind of being pitched as a wild west type adventure <laughs> with han solo being like a cowboy in the wild west trying to find his way and like they're high, a heist or like robbing certain things and you have you know you have to report to so i, I would kinda, have liked more of that i kind of went on that i went in with that kind of expectation it, it delivered was it perfect no but it was it was what i thought it would be i, I like that it. tone and i wish they would have explored that tone even more because mm. i think that would have really made this film stand out more there were some elements of this of this of this film which were very much traditional standard star wars spaceships flying sh- uh, chases and creatures and all that right i would have loved even more of the old west gangster crime type of vibe that they had going at times I will say, I, I think when um, the movie really kind of got exciting for me, I mean, it was exciting most of the movie, but <laughs> the scene towards the end, there's a confrontation between one, two, four of the main characters, actually yes. kind of all congregating together. And yes. you know, there's maybe some ulterior motives at play mm-hmm. and there's some other people you don't know who to trust. I thought that was really fun because I'm just like, okay, what's going to, you know, something's going to happen. You know, something's going to happen with these characters. And that felt like the most, yes, I'm in a crime movie and, or I'm in a old West movie and there's a show showdown and somebody is going to turn on somebody. Somebody had betrayed other people. And that was cool for me. I wanted even more of that throughout the film. And I got little touches of it, but that was probably my most, my favorite part of the movie was the ending. I think the last 15, 20 minutes I really enjoyed. I'm Um, curious to see. And it ended a lot better than 
a lot of these big blockbuster movies do mm. because it wasn't a big CGI fight. It wasn't no. this big over the top. Nope. It was human beings having a face off and that was the end of the movie and it was kind of cool. So. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's totally, yeah, the ending, some of the ending scenes are really good because it's not what you're describing, which is how, for example, Avengers ends or how, yeah. you know, yeah, that's true. I mean, I kept, honestly, as, that, as, as those scenes were coming to an end, I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure there's going to be like one big last CGI chase or battle and there wasn't. It was like, nope, that was the end scene. I'm like, oh, Cool. I Mm -hmm. respect that. That was awesome. Well, so two things that I want to ask you. Yes. If they bothered you or you thought were kind of strange. Okay. One has to do with the ending. The ending ending. Well, yes. Yeah. Um, And I'll just, was it jarring to you kind of a, (laughs) it's it's a a cameo pseudo throwback. Did that bother you? It didn't bother me. Of a character that kind of shows up. It didn't bother me. It confused me for about an hour. Yeah. Until I figured out what the deal was. Okay. Yeah. Confused me too. And I was really surprised that they did that. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing in the movie, but for me, it was surprising that they would do that because I found it confusing and it's interesting to hear you did too. And no, I actually I had to, that was like, kind of strange. I had to text people <laughs> that I knew were more familiar with the stories. Right. It's like, am I missing something? And actually what it did is it caused me to really question the timeline. Mm-hmm. Because I immediately, when I saw this cameo, I thought I knew when this film was taking place. But then as I started doing the math, I'm like, there's no way this film could be taking place at that time. Okay. So that's when I had to go reach out to the internet and get some help. <laughs> help and it helped internet. people told me what the deal was. I'm like, oh, well, now it makes sense. But for someone who didn't know that going in, it was very jarring and surprising and confusing. So... Okay, yeah, on the same page with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there again, like I feel like there's so much to discuss with this movie, even more so than Rogue One about I do too. nuance and stuff. Something that I found surprising, and I think I wish it would have been better developed, um, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering how you feel about it. Um, let me find the character's name. L337, Yes, the robot that is with Lando. Yeah. I found that robot confusing um, because... You know, she's basically like Lando's co-pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have lines of dialogue coming from the robot that in a, this is a PG-13 movie, um, made by Disney. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprised yeah. that, that it's in there. Not that it's anything bad or risque. Very but suggestive. Yes. Some suggestive dialogue that suggests relationships between Lando and this robot. Yeah. Uh, relationships are a little more open in the Star Wars universe and, and uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> so I was just, and, you know, I was just kind of like, whoa, oh, okay, am I understanding this correctly? Like I was that kind of, kind of like the, we've mentioned the cameo that kind of surprised me and kind of took me out of the movie a little bit at the end. The lines coming from the robot, you know, I was just like, what, what? You know, I was, I was just kind of I, really surprised. And then it was kind of discarded. And then there was an interesting, um, robot rebellion thing that yeah. kind of came from out of nowhere. And I was like, wait, what? And I was, yeah. <laughs> I don't know it if was, the character was overwritten or underwritten, but something about that character. It was an interesting, was interesting subplot, interesting character, just very rushed and very kind of, you didn't really have a lot of time to sit with any of the things you're learning from the character. I, my guess is that's another Lord and Miller element to the film. I kind of anticipated yeah, them I don't see Ron Howard writing that. a very sassy, smart ass, Kind of um, edgy because they knew it edgy, could be PG-13. but also knew that was gonna they were gonna imply some interesting more 
<laughs> sexual things into yeah, the I mean, film. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see that being a, a, a plot that they want to carry on. And that might have been where things went a little too far and Star Wars said, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, whoa, hey. hey. <laughs> Let's this back up the train film. here a little this bit, guys. Yeah. yeah, so right. um, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, the, the, the droid didn't really move me either way. I think it was interesting, but I think as little as they used it and kind of just hurried through that subplot and we kind of lost sight of that subplot about a halfway, two thirds of the way through the film, uh, it didn't really stick with me very long. Um, and plus, I think too, I, I I kind of feel like you know they're they're really trying to maximize this whole sassy droid thing. I mean, didn't Rogue One kind of have a real yes. sarcastic, real droid? No, yeah, yeah. So and people liked that. They so did. Then, this one, they, they were the female, very right. kind of very assertive and right. very opinionated and all too. Um, yeah, uh, it it didn't make a really big impact on me either way. Okay, uh, but it was a little confusing and a little interesting uh, to note what they were doing with that character yeah i agree last point and you know obviously you can tell that i'm a star wars nerd um because of the questions i'm asking you but you got the overall opinion i like it alan not quite as high i, I like it okay. no i like it I, I will tell you well yeah i i i, I have a, a firm idea of where it is in my placement of star wars movies okay so for whatever um, that's worth for before you tell mm-hmm. me the ranking of that um one other thing that I was confused about, mm-hmm. <laughs> not confused, but I was just, I guess, kind of surprised. And I want to know your answer, or I guess I should go to the internet to find this out. The dice. Yes. Um, they were in Last Jedi. Yes. And when they were in Last Jedi, I was like, oh, right. Okay. I remember Gambler, Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Got it. But it was almost as if, and I didn't know because I'm a fan, but apparently not that big of a fan. I'm assuming they, you see them in the background in the original four, yes. five, and six movies. No, you're right. You do? Yeah. So you're actually, giving for a fact. I never noticed them. Okay. But when Last Jedi came out and they made such a big, big deal, deal about, about this, the dice, I went and did my research. <laughs> and yes, in the course of the original trilogy, they are hanging up in the Millennium Falcon. In they're the not, cockpit, I yeah, assume. Yeah, they're not made a big deal about. Nobody ever uh, references them or anything. Okay. But that is kind of what, you know, uh, Force Awakens and yeah, Last yeah. Jedi director said, yeah, yeah, no, we, we want to grab a hold of that. Now, yeah. I think Last Jedi really accentuated it and said it made it a really iconic thing. Right. Now we have it in Solo where you clearly see them in several shots and there's like okay. a whole point to them. So, yeah. Because I was kind of like... Wow. Okay. I guess if they're in this thing too, it's really something they're emphasizing. I'm almost so. positive. I have not gone back to the original trilogy okay. to look, but my understanding is that they are in the original trilogy. Okay. Even if they're just in the frame, I think that may be all it is. So, see, that's what surprises me is that seems like such an extreme amount of fan service to somebody who's an even bigger Star Wars fan than I am. I would think that would make them happy, but I guess maybe not. <laughs> well, I guess yeah. Yeah. I guess it's overall how you feel about the movies. So. I, I think there's, I think there's the question. I think, I think people are asking the question about this film. Did we really need a Han Solo's backstory movie? And a, my answer was, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really interesting. I, I'm, right. I wanted to. see We don't it. need it, but I'm interested. I'm to interested see it. in yeah. seeing it. I like the idea. Um, and I think there was some backlash from Last Jedi where people are just like, I'm not going to give Star Wars any more of my money, type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy, just really crazy. And I think the mixed production notes and all the trepidation about the film that got out in the press, I think might've scared a few people off too from that opening weekend. So, yeah, I guess it would be like if 
the Marvel movies had come out when we were kids and they had only made like three of them. And then everybody had been so high on those and thought they were so awesome. And then, yeah, the span happened. And then they started putting out all the Marvel movies that we have today. I think there probably would be like, oh, we're so sick of this. We're so, you know, yeah, people are getting be. sick of comic book movies anyway. But I feel like Star Wars, because they were able to put the originals up on a pedestal so much. that They now, set themselves such a high standard know, in this original trilogy that everybody compares everything back to that. Right. Which, Marvel doesn't really have that. Marvel right. doesn't have like an old trilogy or an old series of films that people kind of revere and hold up on a pedestal. Everything's kind of been one continuous stream of stuff. From right. I will say this about solo, a star Wars movie, and this okay. is going to sound like a, a sound like I'm rating it really low, but honestly, I'm Uh-oh. really not. <laughs> um, it is better than the prequels. Okay. And so the, the Lucas, that's one, the two, episode one, two, and three. Got you. Still far better than the prequels in my mind. Okay. But it is, the last on the list of the, all the other films. So you like it less than Rogue One as well? I do like it a little bit less. Rogue huh. One and Solo are the bottom two of my top part of my list, which is everything <laughs> original trilogy and the two newer films, Force Awakens and Last Jedi. Okay. All five of those films are in the top five. Okay. Then you've got Rogue One. Then you've got Solo. But understand, between Solo and the prequels, it's a huge gap. So it's not like I say Solo is just a little bit better than like episode one. There's a big gap. I liked it. Everything on the top half of my list, I like. The bottom three, did not like. So uh, I liked the film. I just, it was good, breezy, passable entertainment. I mean, it was fine. I liked the characters. I like, I wish they would have done more with the Western style tone and the, the crime lord side of things that they started to introduce at the very end, which I thought was starting to get kind of interesting, you know? So I like what they're doing now. My question is, where's this going? Well, and I think we'd mentioned this as a news item on the previous show, or maybe not, can't remember, supposedly. Mr. Aaron Reich has been signed on to do, I think, three more films. Well, here's okay, maybe, maybe. Here's my so, but at the, in the right. end of this film, Kathleen Kennedy is very yeah, it's open. open to having Kathleen a- Kennedy. If you're there, and I know, I think you <laughs> listen to some episodes, so I'm sure need a minute. Um, here's my recommendation. Executive I know you're producer of Star Wars movies. That's correct. She's basically the Star the, Wars person, the lady. I uh, I know you're working on a Boba Fett solo movie. Which I think is odd. Yeah. Could be really good. Although I got, I got a concept. Okay. I know they're working on an, a, a Boba Fett, and I also understand that an Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan. is in the, the hopper. Okay. Solo, Boba Fett, Obi-Wan. I could see them making those three movies interconnected. Hmm. And you interconnect them with the character we saw the cameo of at the very end of this movie. Yeah. Because... That introduces the whole crime scene sure. in the universe. Boba Fett obviously has connections to the crime scene before he goes on to uh, Empire Strikes Back and makes a scene there. He's working with Jabba at some point. He's, right. you know, he's in that underworld. Yeah. Jabba's referenced at some point in this film as somebody that you know Solo's probably going to meet, which we know he will. Yeah, and then Obi Wan. There's Not, also another bounty hunter that's name checked in Solo. That's true. I'm pretty sure. So I could see like the next so, that this the Boba Fett movie being about the bounty hunters, but have Solo kind of in that film. Sure. There's a part of there for him. Then you've got the Obi Wan film, and again, not to go into spoilers, but there is a connection between the cameo character and Obi Wan right. that could make an interesting closure to that story. 
Yeah. I would love it if they do that instead of just trying to make another solo movie. To me, let's just use these standalone movies. They're standalone, but let's have a carry-through line, kind of a, an overriding theme that carries them together. I, I think, yeah, I think they probably will just because of how this one was left open. Yeah. And you know, they throw out Jabba and everything. And just because there are those through lines to the other movies that you mentioned, I feel like they probably will. And I'm, They've got to have some sort of connection at this and point. And again, to bring it back to how you opened the, the questions on this movie, is it necessary? No. Nope. But I think it is sounds it like a cool idea. Sure. Is it fun? <laughs> is it yeah, fun? Yeah, you know? it's fun. I, that's why I get out of this is that I don't, I don't see how anybody can go into this movie and not have a good time. Well, and honestly, you know, you may groan about a lot of parts. You may feel like some parts are underwritten. Like I thought some parts were underwritten. You may feel like some parts are a little too cliche and on the nose, but it's still fun. I mean, it's just a, it's a fun movie. Uh, You know, it's a good light entertainment. You don't have to think too much about, and it throws just enough interesting little moments there to kind of keep you interested, you know? And that's the thing that was kind of surprising to me. Rogue One, you kind of go in knowing like, you kind of know what the story is going to be. You know the end point. And you, you, know, <laughs> I mean, you know the end point. Yeah. Shocker or, you know, spoiler right. alert, people die. Um, with this, I was surprised. Like you talk about there's the standoff at the end. And there are a couple of other things that happened. And I was like, oh, okay, that's mm-hmm. interesting. I yeah. didn't expect as many twists or turns or plot points to have the effect that they did. Yeah. Um, something, too. Granted, I know Donald Glover has been around. Um, but... Because of, I guess he's you know he's really popular right now. Um, I, not knowing much going in, I thought his character Lando would actually be in more of the movie Bigger. than Woody Harrelson's character. I like Woody Harrelson, and I thought he was I thought he was good in the movie. His character is named Beckett. But if you would have asked me before, I'd been like, oh yeah, I would have said the reverse of that. Yeah, Lando, and then Beckett's like a little yeah. side dude. But instead, it was kind of actually flip flop, which I don't have a problem with that but I was just surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I think we're both saying yes, good movie. It was fun. Uh, Chris liked it more than I did, which is the same for rogue one. I'm still, I'm still lukewarm to positive on the star Wars independent stories at this point. <laughs> okay. Um, I think they're good entertainment. And I like definitely certain elements of them, but I think in both of them, I would have loved to see a little, a little more interest, a little more uniqueness to it. And I felt like Solo still fell into some of the same traps that we see with all the other movies. And again, I just think writing-wise, it, it wasn't the tightest writing that have, I would have liked to see for this have heist they attached film. directors to any of those ones that you mentioned? I heard a director for Boba Fett, but I don't remember him offhand. Okay. I don't remember the name offhand. So hmm. okay. I'll come back a little later if I, if I see that in the news feed. So that's Solo, a Star Wars story. Last thing I was going to say, Chris, on my notes I forgot to mention, sure. I thought the CGI was really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, with the spaceships and the scooter, uh, speeder cars and all that, I think for it being CGI, like they had to use in some of those scenes, it was really, it was the closest looking CGI to practical effects. Okay. So I never once thought, oh, that's just CGI and it's, you know, bad or whatever. On that note, one last thing that I meant to ask you about that I'd kind of forgotten. Um, I've heard commentary on the cinematography, the look of Solo. Mm-hmm. What's your takeaway on that? I, I was fine. Okay. It was of a certain brown, gray tone. Right. It was a little dirty looking. Okay. It was, you know, a little muted, but I kind of anticipated that. This okay. is more of an underworld Western type movie. So okay. I expected that. I didn't expect bright colors and, right. you know, over the top visuals. Sure. So, yeah. I kind of feel the same way. It didn't bother me, but I saw a lot of blowback online about how a lot of people thought it was dark for no reason or it was just really muddy and they thought it was 
they I were just, disappointed with kind of the look of the film, but didn't, yeah, no, I kind of was going for the whole me. Western I, thing. I felt so, like it fit the environments that we were meant to be put into in these situations. I okay. mean, we're looking at, uh, you know, underworld gambling. We're looking at, you know, um, yeah, just it, it needed to be dark. I mean, it just okay. made sense. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's Solo, a Star Wars movie directed by Ron Howard for the most part and uh, still out <laughs> for, the in, most, for the most part. Is that going to be like what's on the back of the, the box <laughs> yeah. or the criteria? Directed by Ron Howard by, pretty much. For the most part. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. much. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's Solo, a Star Wars movie. We both say it's worth checking out and uh, is still in movie theaters. Not performing as well as I think the Disney would like, but still it's going to be in theaters for a while. So we recommend checking it out. All right, let's move on to our second review, which is another in a franchise uh, uh, system. This is coming from the X-Men universe, which is owned by 20th Century Fox, but also has Marvel on board. And it is the latest uh, escapades of a Mr. Wade Wilson, better known as Deadpool, in Deadpool 2. My name's Cable. I'm here for the kid. What? The kid? Move or die. Kids give us a chance to be better than we used to be. He needs you. You're a lot smarter than I look. I ain't letting Cable kill this kid. But I can't do this alone. Can you speak up? It's hard to hear you with that pity dick in your mouth. Deadpool 2. Uh, We had the first one, which was kind of an origin story. And this one, the storyline, after surviving a near-fatal bovine attack, a disfigured cafeteria chef, Wade Wilson, struggles to fulfill his dream of becoming Mayberry's hottest bartender while also learning to cope with his lost sense of taste. (laughs) Searching to regain his spice for life as well as a flux capacitor, Wade must battle ninjas, the Yakuza, and a pack of sexually aggressive canines as he journeys around the world to discover the importance of family, friendship, and flavor, finding a new taste for adventure and earning the coveted coffee mug title of World's Best Lover. <laughs> okay, so even though that was written by 20th Century Fox and is on the IMDb page as supposedly the storyline for Deadpool 2. Which is pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah not, not it at all. Basically, it is the sequel, and unless you've been living under a rock, you know that Josh Brolin is in this movie, not as Thanos, but as Cable. He's come to Earth, and he is trying to track down a kid who is going to develop into a bad person, and Deadpool is protecting said kid. The kid is, um, what is his name? I'm blanking on his name. Um, He's from Hunt Julian the- Dennison. Thank you, Julian Dennison, and he was from Hunt for the Wilder People. He was in that movie that we discussed previously on the show. And he plays Fire Fist? Fire Fist. Right. <laughs> um, so we had discussed Deadpool on the show, too, when it came out. Alan and I were, eh, okay with it. Alan, do you feel like this sequel was warranted? Do you feel like it improves on the original? I know production values were one of the original sticking points for you on this. How, yeah. how, did, how did Deadpool 2 come um, out for you? I liked Deadpool 2. Okay. I thought it was an improvement over the first movie. And I actually think it's one of those sequels that actually makes the first movie a little better in hindsight. Okay, do tell. Um, because I think uh, we're building on a character's mythology, which I think is always fun. I think the humor was stronger in this movie than it was okay. in the first one. The first movie was, was funny, had some very funny moments. This movie, I felt like I laughed more. 
and in certain moments I'll mention, you know, in passing as well, a couple of moments in particular, I laughed extremely loud. Um, <laughs> okay. But if, you know, it, it builds on, I think a foundation that was built in the first film and they took all the, the tropes of a sequel and building on a character story and putting the character through some big trial and tribulation. They put, they did all that and, you know, bringing in guest stars and bringing in other characters. They, they played with all those. And I think they had a lot of fun with those different notions. Um, yeah, it was a perfect, I mean, there's definitely, you know, things that I think were, did not work as well. I think okay. there was some jokes that didn't land as well. Um, but I got to give him to this. I, I think Ryan Reynolds, he has created a character that will be his, he'll be known for, for a very, very long time. Instead of the Green Lantern. Yes. And I think he's <laughs> totally redeemed himself for any concerns that people had about other choices he made in films. He He's made this character. And I can't imagine at this point anybody else having played this character the way, uh, the way it's, it's done on screen. Now, I don't like the character of Deadpool as a general concept. I think okay. I said this in the first movie too. I'm not a fan of Deadpool. I mean, I read, I've read comics, I am a big comics guy, but I never got into Deadpool. I never cared for the breaking the fourth wall and just constantly wisecracking and just being a very irreverent about everything. Never a big fan. Okay. So no, I'm not going to go out and say Deadpool two is one of my favorite superhero movies or comic book movies, but I do think it was a very, very funny movie that did a really good job of skewering some of the uh, aspects of the genre that I think, I think it came out at just the right time where I think you even mentioned in your latest Avengers review about just kind of, it's just, we're done. It's tiring. It's just too much. Now this came at a right time to say, yeah, okay, well let's kind of play with those ideas and let's have fun with those and kind of talk about sometimes how ridiculous it is when we have, extra heroes in the mix and we have all these other storylines to follow and all and how kind of dumb that is to play with. So I think it was a good palate cleansing film to kind of get people in a better frame of mind after some of the heavy and, and repetitive superhero films that we've had of recent. So I liked it. I thought it was fun. I did laugh quite a bit. It was one of the funnier films I've seen in a theater in a good while. Um, I do have some concerns. And I okay. even have a general moral concern about the film that I'd like to address later on. But okay. I'd like to hear your thoughts first. I, I kind of fall down the lines of the same as you do on this film. I, the original, you know, it was being hyped as, oh, it's so different. Go see, you know, it's so it's a it's rated R because at that time that was a big a big deal. It was rated R, and you know it was it was funny, but it was also very different. This one, I thought overall the humor was better like more clever maybe mm-hmm. um but i just appreciated it more um and yeah i the thing that i still struggle with and i think it comes from like you're saying i think the deadpool character is interesting but as far as whether or not i like him i don't think i do yeah. um and i think what's tough for this movie and I, I went in expecting a comedy and i got a comedy so that's good instead mm-hmm. of just being a comic book movie it mm-hmm. was a comedy obviously very adult and rated r but what I think it kind of struggles with to me, which I don't really remember from the first movie, but in this movie, there's a lot of sentimentality and tone dealing with his girlfriend. Um, and when Deadpool or Wade Wilson, because usually in those instances, he's not being Deadpool, he's being Wade Wilson. I just can't take him seriously, like how he's you know, being sentimental and being nice and being showing feelings and being concerned. And I just, 
And I guess that's the whole thing is he is a very psychologically damaged character where, you know, when he's got the costume on, he's a complete ass and is mm-hmm. saying things that, you know, just very irreverent. But then suddenly when he doesn't have the costume on and he's talking, anytime he's talking to his girlfriend, you know, he's, he's a completely different person. So yeah. it, it was just it's it was kind of jarring. And I was kind of surprised at the sentimentality that I needed to believe was there for him to do the things that the movie needs him to do. So I was kind of like, well, okay, you know, he's really going to care about this kid. Okay. You know, it's kind of hard for me to, in a way, believe that, but, um, I don't know, but overall, like you're saying, I liked it better than the first one. I don't know that I would recommend it to people, but I, I I would recommend it it to certain people. And that will kind of bring me to a little bit of just my overall general concern with the film. Sure. Um, and God, I'm going to sound like such a, I'm going to sound like such an old fuddy-duddy with this. <laughs> I don't even know a better way to, to I love describe that word, fuddy-duddy. you know, the first 10 minutes of the film, we have a montage where basically it's showing him, like, doing his job. He is a mercenary. He kills people yes. that need to be killed. And there's a lot of death. And, yeah. you know, you can turn off your brain and say, oh, it's just a movie. It's just whatever. He walks into a room and he mows down 20 people without breaking a sweat. And, you know, you're seeing limbs fall, you're seeing stuff, and just people are just getting gored to death, all that. Yeah, I get it. It's a movie, and I get that, you know, he's a mercenary. And I try to remind myself when I'm watching these scenes that, okay, imagine, Alan, that every single person in this room is a pedophile murderer who has done unspeakable evils, and that's They're why he's killing them. all bad people. Yeah, but it's still just really tough because there's a lot of death in the movie and it's, it's just all... gratuitous and he's enjoying it it's not like he has to do this yeah. it's not like he just kills them and they're dead he enjoys inflicting the really gross it does make violence. it tough to say you enjoy this film because right. i mean at the core heart of it you're meant to be, be very emotional about a particular character that you know is injured or, or in any way but yet we just saw 50 people get mowed down without a second thought and there's sure. no real thought about it. It's, it's, it does concern me a little bit. You know, I guess that's part of the reason why I never cared for him as a, somebody to follow in either comics or in movies. It's just like, I, I don't care for this kind of character. Gotcha. I don't care for the Punisher. I don't care for the Deadpools. I don't care for the, the ones that their whole deal is. They just go around killing people, you know? So again, fine. Call me old fashioned, call me whatever. But if it wasn't for that element of it, I think I would really love this film. Okay. It's just when you add that element of this character to it and you're meant to balance all of that. Plus, like you said, the sentimentality plus this irreverent humor. It's an odd mixture of tones well, to deal with in a film. And you know? I think you, you've, you've reminded me of something. The way you kind of structured that comment was you talked about the high body count in the montage and that is what is jarring to me with the sentimentality with the girlfriend. It's just like yep. something about that. It's tough. In a comedy, like it just doesn't quite, for me, as a viewer, it's just, yeah. I can't really justify it. It, yeah. it is tough. And then to see it still go into a very over-the-top zany humor within a few minutes after that. Right. And then, granted, now they did do something at the end of the film that I did enjoy. During the credits, I thought it was a very clever use of, of scenes. One of the best credit sequences. It absolutely yeah. was. It was the one thing. I've seen this movie twice. Okay. And not, it just so happened that I had a chance to go see it a second time with some other friends. I thought, you know, I'll go see it again. Um, and I mainly wanted to see it for two reasons. Uh, one is the credit scene, because I think the credit scene is genius. I okay. love the way they did it. Okay. And yes, if you look at the credit scene, it does counteract some of those tone 
questions we had earlier in the film to some degree because certain things are okay i, I can't go into it but okay. it does as you, as you look at the film as a whole if you go watch it a second time and you know what's coming in the credit scene the movie balances out its tone a lot better than it did the first time around hmm. okay the second reason to go see this movie is for x-force and i'll just say that is his <laughs> team of other heroes he decides he's gonna put together a team because he's not getting a lot of support from the x-men so he decides to build his own team called x-force yes there was an x-force in the comics and we'll leave it at that um they do play a part in this film i think their first uh mission as a team is absolutely hilarious and that was probably the loudest i've, I've laughed in a theater in a while so are they making an x-force movie i think they will okay but i think it will be with some other people that are also in the film. Okay. Not maybe the ones we are introduced to right. as X-Force. Cause proper. I've seen that. Like I was wondering, okay, <laughs> Deadpool two, that movie's come out. It's done. Are people kind of done with Deadpool, but it's making money. Oh yeah. But do they do a Deadpool three or do they do an X-Force movie? It I think it'd be like fun to do a saying. team movie, but it's gotta be certain characters that we find at the end of the film. I think makes sense to be a part of that. So, hmm. yeah. okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, there are some very, very funny moments, but it is very, very rated R. Yes. I think the violence is more than the first movie, although the sexual content was a little bit less than the first movie. True. So there is that balance, but it definitely amped up the violence for sure. There are some very funny moments. I think Ryan Reynolds is great as this character, and he's really found a niche that works for him really well. Um, I liked... um, uh, Zazie Beats as Domino. I mean, it's just a fun name to say. It is, but I like her. I thought she was good. <laughs> yeah, she's a character I really had no interest in seeing on screen. But when he got she got on screen, I'm like she has a certain charisma that just worked really well. I like Julian Dennison. <laughs> um, he's basically playing the same character he played in Hunt oh, for the Wilder People. Right, absolutely. <laughs> but it was still fun to see him again because I liked his character so much in the other film too. Well, um, and sticking a character like that, that's. You know, he was very kind of stylized as a teen character. Yeah. And putting him in a Deadpool movie, that was just kind of fun to see. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought Josh Brolin was good as Cable. I mean, yeah. he's meant to play a straight man, and he absolutely played it, and it was good. So, yeah, everybody, everybody was good. It was fun. It was an enjoyable movie. It was funny. Uh, it's just high body count. Yeah. A real uh, blind eye to the sense of violence that's in it. Uh, if you can kind of stomach that and you know it's a comic book movie and you know it's meant to be an over-the-top movie, you have a good time with it. But just be prepared going in that you know, this is what you're getting. So, yeah. Okay. Better than the first. I think it actually makes the first a little bit better in hindsight now. And that's so. Alan's our encapsulated review for the DVD box. Better than the first. Better than the first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, did you like the first one? Okay. You'll probably like the second one even better. So, good. Fair enough. So, that is Deadpool 2. So, we are basically giving some good positive thumbs up to both movies so far i think solo you're definitely more positive about than deadpool 2 yes uh, i think i am I, w- too. I would want to see i want to see solo again okay deadpool 2 um, i'm good probably not seeing it again and i'm either way either film okay. i could see a second time if necessary or or want to see so i, I found moments to enjoy in both okay. for different reasons so all right so that's our reviews and what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and when we come back We will have some movie news items to share about some upcoming projects that we're interested in. And then we'll cap off the episode with our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out. You are listening to Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, and we'll be right back. 
When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when you the- got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like where they the worked old, at the country club yes, yes. you know when the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and mm-hmm. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh <laughs> yeah 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 so it's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards <gasps> absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard <laughs> I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. TheMesh.TV is a podcast network of free entertainment, mostly audio-based with some video sprinkled in from time to time. And you can find all of our shows and episodes on our website at TheMesh.TV. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. We also recommend going and finding us on your podcast store of choice. For most people, that will be iTunes. But I know Google Play, Stitcher Radio also carry podcasts as well. There you can search for us. You can search for Foot Candle Films or any of the Mesh.TV shows. And they're all free to listen to. So you can go back in time all the way back to episode one for us. Which I will say, our episode one, I think, infinitely better than Star Wars episode one. I'm just saying on the record, I, I think like, we did a much... I like Phantom Menace, but... I know you did, but I'm still going to keep ragging on That's it. So, uh, episode one, uh, all the way back in time, if you really want to go hear reviews of other films that we've discussed over the years. Uh, or you can just hit the subscribe button, and that makes sure that every time we put out a new episode, you're going to get a new copy of that new episode downloaded to you automatically once it's available. So no going and searching, no reminding yourself that you have to go online and see if there's a new episode. It'll be pushed to you automatically, almost like a DVR for your uh, internet radio. So that's the mesh.tv. We recommend you check it out, not only for Foot Candle Films, but other shows that are on the network as well. Chris, uh, we go into our news section here where we like to at least toss out a few interesting movie notes, uh, either productions we hear are, are going on or maybe some directors being assigned or some other things happening. Uh, I've got three projects that crossed my path <laughs> Okay, that I think are all very interesting to me. I do not know if they'll be interesting to you or not, but we will find out. Okay. Uh, and in a, one of the spaces, one of the places is a director I'm a big fan of. Another one is just a really interesting project. And then there's a director that I really don't care for at all anymore. <laughs> But hearing what he's working on next. Okay. Fair enough? Yeah, sounds good. Let's start with the director that I do like and I'm excited for first. So Universal Studios made some news that they actually got the rights to distribute the 25th James Bond film. Okay. Bond 25 is kind of just what we're calling it right now. That's the working title. Working title. Bond 25. Okay. So there was a little bit of a bidding war going on as to see what studio was going to buy the rights to this film. 
This is supposedly the last outing been for 25 Bond yeah. films. Well, this there's been 24. Be... There'll be 25. Wow. Daniel Craig. Huh. This will be his fifth time in this role. So I didn't think he was coming. I thought he was. Like, well, oh. he wasn't. It's his last time. Okay. So he has supposedly said, yep, this is it. Fifth and final outing as and James Bond. Done. And I'm done. <laughs> Drop the mic. I'm out of here. I'm out. Okay. Um, we have a... <laughs> Which I this, guess most people think he should have stopped after Skyfall, probably. Well, I mean, I thought Spectre was okay. It was okay. Um, it was. I think coming after Skyfall was tough. Skyfall is, I think, widely believed to be one of the best Bound films Got ever made. Got the song. Come yeah. <laughs> better song. It was... I think Daniel Craig was kind of at the peak of his game. It just right. was a good Sam Mendes. I mean, it was just a great director, great mix. Sam Mendes did Spectre as well, but that was just kind of seen as a little bit of a drop off. Right. I think Sam Mendes said, "I'm done. Uh, I don't want to do any more." Not only is Craig done, I'm done. Yeah, but Craig <laughs> said, "I'll do one more." Probably saw a nice paycheck come across his table. It's like, yeah, I can do one more. <laughs> and I don't know how much of it was just finding out who the director was going to be for this to maybe deciding, yeah, I want to stick around for another one. Uh, it's Danny Boyle. So, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 hours, um, yeah, Train Spotting. Train Spotting, one um, and two. Yeah. So, this guy is one of my favorite directors. Yeah. I think he's a very interesting director. Even when his work doesn't quite click for me, it's still interesting and fascinating to watch. Um, mm-hmm. So, he's not only directing it, but the writer is John Hodge, who may not recognize the name, but it's his longtime collaborator. They wrote Train Spotting together. Train Spotting. Okay. Yeah. So to have the writer and director of Train Spotting doing the next James Bond movie, the closest thing I can think of, I can think that Danny Boyle has done to a genre film with more action to it. 28 was it, Days Later? Yeah, I guess movie. the zombie movie 28 Days Later. Sunshine, the sci-fi movie, kind of yeah. had some action in it. Yeah. And, you know. But this is definitely the most traditional action yeah. movie I've ever he heard did, him doing. He did, um, I guess it would be a crime th- thriller thing called um, Trance. Trance is the one film of his I have not seen. Okay, and yeah. you've seen Shallow Grave. I've like seen Shallow Grave. Love Shallow Grave. Yeah, um, and that was a good thriller. I mean, right. he's got the thrillers down pat. Don't right. I don't doubt that. This is just that more traditional action set piece, mm-hmm. chase scenes, car chases. I mean, I'm just I'm really curious to see how he's going to do this. Um, and I've been on record because we've reviewed maybe Skyfall, maybe Spectre. We've talked about James Bond. Yeah. You're much more of a fan of the James Bond I am. stuff than I am. Sure. I could care less. But with Boyle as the director, yeah, I'm, You're I'm interested. interested. I, the only person I would possibly be more interested in seeing do a James Bond film would be Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, and there were rumors for a while. There were rumors. A, like, really, because otherwise I don't really care. Because it's just like Mission Impossible, that stuff, which we have a new one of those coming out. I could care. There haven't been 25 of those, but I feel like there have been. I could care less. But if Danny Boyle was doing a Mission Impossible movie, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd be like, okay. You know, and yeah, same thing with it does. Uh, it does speak so. to the, the, the importance of having a good director. Well, it really does. I mean, if you remember back when the Summer Olympics were in mm-hmm. the UK, Danny Boyle directed the opening ceremonies. And a piece of that was Daniel Craig like flying oh, in on the helicopter. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so he so actually... He, he actually has directed Daniel Craig as James Bond. As James Bond, it's very cool. I did yeah, not. So, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, so I'd, I'm 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 interested. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very board. interested. I love James Bond. I think Jane, Daniel Craig's pretty good. I, he's he's no Sean Connery or even oh, yeah. you know 
for me, I and I even thought Pierce Brosnan was a really good James Bond, but you know, whatever. <laughs> sure. Um, but I've never had a I've never had a James Bond film where I was excited about the director. Right. Me neither. Sam Mendes was the closest when Skyfall was announced. I'm like, ooh, that's just interesting because I've never thought of Sam Mendes as doing a film like this. And Skyfall was really good. Yeah, it was. So now I'm excited to see what happens here. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino, so have you heard the latest rumor of what film franchise he's again kind of being batted around in the circles of? No. Star Trek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are rumors right now that supposedly there's conversations about whether or not Quentin Tarantino is interested in directing a Star Trek movie. I mean, the new Star Trek movies that have come out, um, there have been just three. there have been three. three. There have been three. Um, so I guess now there's Star Trek, kind of Star Trek, where uh, people are like Star Trek into darkness, into darkness and then Beyond. Beyond that's and right. Beyond really didn't do a lot business wise, and I think you know it was kind of a lukewarm reception. Right. So they're to a point now where they're. I, I think that franchise is just kind of floundering. They're just and open to whatever to be ideas. Like rebooted. They'll need to be rebooted again. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I don't dislike the Star Trek movies, but I think they've just been you know kind of okay. Um, I think they've gotten. I don't want to say progressively worse, but they've the they, titles have three, gotten progressively worse. Well, all three I think are fine in good entertainment. I think they have gotten less less exciting. Okay. I like the first one. I like the J.J. Abrams first reboot one. I thought it was a really good movie. Okay. Second one I thought was good, just a little drop off, and then now this last one was fine, but it was more matinee second run movie theater kind of thing instead of a first run movie so okay um so no, quentin tarantino and star trek could be really that, interesting that would make me go see that as well yeah i mean honestly <laughs> unlike unlike bond and star trek like the only movies that i'd probably go see regardless of who directed them would be a star wars movie i guess that's why it doesn't affect me that ron howard was directing because yeah. I'll, I'll just go see but to get me to see a star trek movie tarantino absolutely bond okay. yeah sure <laughs> so the so next who's one, the third one. I'm really well. Interested. No, I'm still at the second one. Oh, still the second. second one. This is okay. the second one. This is the one so that Tarantino was a bonus. I don't know anything from a director standpoint, but I'm more just really curious about the project. What do you know? I'm going back to superhero comic book stuff here. Well, not really superhero comic book in general. What do you know about the character Spawn? Oh man, did they make two movies of him or just one? I think they made two. I, kn- I know they made one. Because I remember seeing it, and I was like, this is a mess, and I don't like it. And yeah. I think it was maybe done kind of cheaply. I can't remember. It was. But, um, yeah, I did not like the Seth MacFarlane um, spawn. I thought it was pretty bad. Um, so I don't, can't remember if they made a second I'm trying to remember, not. too, if they made like a – at one point there was like an HBO series yes, version yeah, of it, maybe yeah, like yeah. an animated version. I Am I thinking right came, on that? I think that came afterwards maybe. It did. Okay. It did. Um, the yeah, there was a Spawn – well, movie-wise, there's just been the one in 1997. Okay. That was and the one – And I think it was uh, – you know, there again, how soon we forget. I was like claiming Deadpool was the first R. But no. I mean, I guess maybe first major from a major studio because Spawn – was definitely R. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was too. Now, just and to it clarify, was, it was dark too. So. Yeah, it was rated R. And just to clarify, uh, Todd McFarlane did not direct it. Oh, not Seth McFarlane. Yeah. <laughs> That's a family guy. Yeah. Todd, Todd McFarlane. McFarlane. He was the comic book creator Cre- who created Spawn. Okay. And he is a famous artist that did got into writing eventually. Went to go work for Image Comics and found that comic line and. That was his first major character outside of Marvel or DC gotcha. was Spawn. Tom McFarlane wrote 
kind of the comic book that the film was based off okay. of, but somebody else wrote the screenplay and then somebody else directed it. Gotcha. So knowing all that, okay. uh, there would just be surprising to you to know that there is a new Spawn movie uh, under development. Yeah, I mean, they're running out of stuff, I guess. So, <laughs> but so, yeah. okay. And that in itself, fine. Okay. Would it surprise you to say that not only is Todd McFarlane the writer of it, well, but he's I mean, also that- directing the film. Which again, I've got no basis. I've never seen him direct a film. I don't know. Hmm. He's a very good artist. Right. Maybe that will help him be a good director. Here's what brought this story to my attention more than anything. I mean. Nothing's really surprising to me at this point. No. Until this. Starring. Gary Coleman. Jamie Foxx. Oh. Jamie Foxx is set to star as Spawn from Todd McFarlane and Blumhouse Productions. Oh, no, that's an interesting Blumhouse Productions because yep. they kind of do like they do low lower, budget horror, lower budget horror stuff. Yeah, some of which I've recommended a, here on the show. And they're so. saying it's going to be a rated R supernatural horror film directed by Todd McFarlane, but starring Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. It's just interesting. I was I was watching TV and I, I don't is, watch broadcast TV very often, but I had it on the other night to watch some show with my kids. And there was a commercial for a game show. It's like. Uh, can you beat Shazam or something where like it's a music show. They play clips of a music and you try to beat, you try to guess the song quicker than Shazam can do it. The <laughs> service Shazam. Okay. And it's hosted by Jamie Foxx. So Jamie Foxx is doing a game show on Fox. And I started thinking, what has he really done film wise lately? And there hasn't been a The last thing I remember lot. that he did was the villain in the Spider-Man um well, Andrew Garfield, one. Baby Driver. He was in Baby Driver. Oh, that's right. He was. Yeah, in he Baby was in Driver. Baby Driver. Yeah. He is cast as Little John in a new Robin Hood movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I saw just sideline saw a preview for that Robin Hood movie when I went to go see Solo. It looks pretty ridiculous. And I, I mean, I get they're trying to like take franchises like Robin Hood and like retool it. So put in for a new generation. But all I can think of is that dreadful King Arthur movie that came out like a year or two ago, legend of the sword or something that was terrible. That had Charlie Hunnam in it. Who's like, so yeah, I will say this. I've not been impressed with any of these medieval Robin Hood, King Arthur movies, Mm -hmm. but I would love it if they came out with a good one because I do Mm -hmm. love, that style of story. Okay. I think the Robin Hood story if told very authentically and very like uh, truly to the original story could be really cool and thrilling, but no one's gotten it right yet. I just, <laughs> no one. I mean, I was a big fan of that whole Kevin Costner, Prince of Thieves, mm-hmm. Robin Hood movie back in the, in the early nineties or so, or late eighties. Okay. But that was because I was young and it was kind of cool. And I was kind of on a Kevin Costner kick anyway, after dances with wolves. Sure. I thought it was fun, but as I watch it now, if I see parts of it, I'm like, oh, God, that was – no, that was pretty bad. <laughs> so I just – I want a really good Robin Hood movie, but that's besides the point. Anyway, he's going to be in that movie. Beyond that, he was in Baby Driver, but there hasn't been a whole lot happening with him film-wise. I, yeah, I mean, the fact that the guy, Todd, not Seth, who wrote the comic is going to direct it, that's interesting that they yeah. feel like he – you know, they're letting him do it or whatever – but obviously he's really good with the source material because he came up with it. The fact that Jamie Foxx is doing it, yeah. um, maybe he's just desperate to redeem himself after playing Electro. Is that who he played in the Yeah, Spider? he played Electro. So I, I'm interested, but because I'm so burned out on comic book movies, I probably wouldn't run out to see it. But I can see how there's enough kind of weird and odd stuff that's supernatural that I, 
I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I guess, you know. I, I will say very interesting. I'll wait, I'll wait to see. Like the other movies that we've talked about in this segment, I'll see no matter what because the directors. This one, the concept sounds interesting. The actor, Jamie Foxx, interesting, but I'll probably wait to see, you know. I'll wait and see before I run out and yeah. pay my money. <laughs> yeah, Jamie Foxx being attached is what kind of rose the awareness for this. Sure. Because otherwise I'm like, okay, sure, yeah, of course they're going to make another Spawn movie. They're going to try it again. Right. The first one didn't do too well, but now superhero movies are all the rage, so let's give it a shot. Sure. Uh, and you know, being Todd McFarlane, I'm like, well, that could either be good or it could be a real disaster. <laughs> all I can think of is um, I think was, – was it Stephen King directed – who is it that directed? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Maximum Overdrive? No, I'm thinking about Frank Miller. Frank uh, Miller directed one of the Robocop movies. Like, he wrote the screenplay and either huh. directed one or whatever. And just the films he's tried to direct have not turned out very well at all. Like, he did the Sin City sequel. Okay. And he I wrote believe. the stuff in the first one. And um, Maybe the I'm guy who did confused. Robert Rodriguez directed yeah he did the first in city which i thought was pretty good right but frank miller who's a great writer and a great you know does and he did great. the whole dark knight series of the batman comics that's right he didn't direct wonderful the movie, but comic yeah. book writer but when it comes to directing wow. um just he's had three director's credits he he was co-director on sin city but that was more of a in spirit okay. thing gotcha. i think he actually did direct sin city a dame to kill for the sequel which i never saw um Heard it was Robert, Robert Rodriguez is co-credited as director on that one too. But I, got, I seem to remember it was more Frank Miller. Okay, and then also he directed um, um, the Spirit. Oh yeah, that was the one that didn't turn out very good at all. Oh yeah. Um, huh. So you know, and he wrote the screenplay for RoboCop two and three, which both of those were kind of garbage. So he's <laughs> like, you take these really good graphic novel artists and writers who get this genre really good, and you try to put them in this other medium. It's like eh, it just doesn't work. work. So that could be going that route for, for um, McFarlane. Hmm. Or hey, maybe he's a talent that we haven't tapped into that gets a chance to direct something. So yeah. I'm curious, but yeah, I'm uh, curious. I've never been a big fan of the character, so I'm not really terribly excited about the film, but I'm just more curious to see how it turns out. Right. So. Okay. All right, last one, a director that I've really fallen out of favor of with over the last several years. Hmm. Um, I'm interested to see who this his is. His last movie, you and I both were not fans of, and we're not even really sure how much of that film he actually directed versus somebody else, is Mr. Zack Snyder. Uh, yeah, Zack Snyder. If you remember, he was the one that was helming the DC Universe for a while. It's like, right. All these stories are comic book stories. Sorry about that, people. <laughs> it just happens to be that way right now. Um, he did the... What did he do? He did... Justice League. Justice League. He did Batman or, uh, Batman versus Superman. He did Man of Steel. But then he also did Watchmen. Watchmen. And he did 300. And yep. he did uh, several... Kind of diminishing returns, I think, as far as popularity of his films and how well respected they are. Right. He was the one that supposedly was kind of... Uh, unfortunately, tragedy hit his family during the midst of production of Justice League. So they brought in... Um, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon to come in and finish the film. Right. But during the course of that, it's also been kind of reported that DC Comics and Warner Brothers said, yeah, and you just go ahead and stay away, Zack Snyder. You're, you're, you're done. Hmm. So he is supposedly not steering the DC Universe anymore. Uh, may have still like an executive producer credit flirting around on a film or two here coming out, but nothing substantial. Hmm. So, Interesting. I'm 
curious to hear what his next project is, although I have no interest in seeing it. So it's not going to be the Aquaman or the Batman, which may never happen movie with Ben Affleck. None of that stuff. The Flash. He was already not assigned to any of those anyway. So if anything, he may still have a producer credit just because he was kind of involved early on when those things were being formulated, but not any director credit. Hmm. So right now, uh, Deadline Hollywood is reporting that Zack Snyder's next project will be an adaptation of the Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Hmm. Um, Haven't they already made that into a movie? They made Atlas Shrugged. Oh, Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, they made Atlas Shrugged in two two parts, but they have not made uh, The Fountainhead yet. Okay. I, first to say, not read it. Nope. Not read any Ayn Rand books, actually. So, But I did think a very interesting next move to go into more of an adaptation of a a novel Uh, does not seem like it would be very... um, uh, action-packed or fast-paced like a Zack Snyder film would typically be. So maybe he's honestly trying to do something different. Do we know if he's writing it as well as writing the screenplay? Probably probably not. Or maybe he is. I don't know. Um, just be interested to see if he's just directing. Because I think regardless of how you feel about his style or you think the movies are good, I think he can direct. Mm-hmm. So if they needed, if he was kind of saying like, yeah, I'm going to make a break from superhero movies, do something completely different, Give me a script. And somebody says, hey, do the Fountainhead. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it would be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine what he would do with more of a structured, talky, kind of like a period piece. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. Uh, mainly because you know, I don't think I've ever seen him do a film that wasn't a big visual spectacle, over-the-top right. action movie. Um, right. Even you go back, I mean, even Watchmen was still very stylish and oh, yeah. visual and violence and, and everything else. The Fountainhead's a, you know, an uncompromising visionary architect struggles to maintain his integrity and individualism despite personal, professional, and economic pressures to conform to popular standards. That does not sound like a Zack Snyder film Zack at Snyder. all, yeah. but that could be what's a good thing right now. Maybe yeah. it's a little different. Maybe it's not going to be focused on the visual style. It's going to be more on the true storytelling side mm-hmm. of directing which is where I think he's been a little weaker in the past. So um, That's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was just an interesting project. Again, not a director I'm, I'm a big fan of at the moment, but uh, I'm just curious about the project, if nothing else. Right. So. Okay. So that was the three things. Again, excited about Danny Boyle doing Bond 25. Curious why Jamie Foxx is doing a Spawn movie. <laughs> and Zack mm-hmm. Snyder's doing The Fountainhead, which, okay, I'm curious to see where that goes. So Chris, and that's our I'm, news items. I'm holding out hope that Tarantino does direct a Star Trek movie. Uh, if we find out that that actually is going to happen, we will make sure we talk about it right here. So, <laughs> Chris, we always end up the show with our recommendations of a film that we think people ought to go back and check out, one that we're a big fan of or something we just want to bring to people's attention. I've been talking, feels like, for the last 10 minutes. So I'm going to toss it over to you. Uh, can you tell us what film you have to recommend right now? So, I tried to always recommend strict films, either being documentaries or narratives here on the show. I'm You're gonna, normally pretty good with that rule. There, I'm going to kind of cheat. I'm not oh, recommending a TV okay. show, All right. but um, I am going to recommend a stand-up special, and I'll explain why. So I'm recommending Bo Burnham, Make Happy, which was his 2016 uh, one-man show comedy special. Hmm. It's uh, I actually saw it on Netflix. I think you may be able to stream it other places, but you can definitely catch it on Netflix. Um, the reason why I'm recommending it is because Bo Burnham has a movie coming out July, maybe, called Eighth Grade. Mm-hmm. And it is his directorial debut. 
And it is a narrative film, but it's all about this girl in the eighth grade. It's funny, yet it's very, you know, it's kind of a coming of age, but it's supposed to be really good. Haven't seen it yet. Did really well at Sundance, getting a lot of buzz. Who knows what will happen at Oscar time. But I was like, I'd heard all this stuff. and I'm like, Bo Burnham, who, who is this Joker? Mm-hmm. So I went and watched this special. And I like stand-up, but... I feel like a lot of times it'll just kind of merge and it all seems kind of the same to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is crazy stand-up. Um, he, one moment is just telling like a normal story. The next moment he'll run over to a piano and like play this seemingly stream of conscious song. Um, he raps at some points, has all sorts of lighting effects going on. It is nuts. And it's, it's 60 minutes. It's a pretty mm. tight stand-up yeah. special. Um, and there again... I guess maybe people in the realm of stand-up comedy have heard of this guy and he's kind of been building, but it was my first kind of like really exposure to him. And he seems to be a really, really creative talent. I'm interested to see because a lot of his stuff is he has a very sharp wit and a lot of it's self-deprecating humor about himself. Um, but as you know, he talks about mental illness and life, death, sexuality, like all his contents all over mm, the place wow and for them for him to kind of get in the mind of a girl who's going through eighth grade and struggling to like find herself you're like i don't see how that works or i don't you know it just seems yeah. really random for him to do yeah but him harnessing kind of all his ideas and being a director i i think will be fascinating so hopefully i'll be able to recommend eighth grade when it comes out in july i think it's when it's coming out but for right now I'm recommending Bo Burnham make happy. I'm, I'm very interested in eighth grade. I uh, just, you know, okay. just what I've read about it and just, uh, I, I think it's an interesting time period in a, in a child's life to be documenting a film. So <laughs> right. uh, I'm very curious about that. Yeah. So I've gained a little of interest in Bo Burnham and just wanting to kind of check out some of his, his past work. So now I have even more of a reason to do so. Thank you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine, man, I'm just, something hit me last week and I felt really nostalgic uh-huh. For a lot of different things. So you're going to recommend Three Amigos? No. <laughs> no. I would for a couple of scenes in particular, but Fair no, enough. that's not what I'm going to do. Um, and I don't even know. I, I don't think I've recommended this before. If I did, it was way early in the show. But uh, I was hanging up some pictures in my house, like trying to rearrange some different pictures. And I've got a beautiful picture of Union Station in New York City, light coming through the big windows and like the big floor and that started getting me thinking. And then I also saw a little bit of a kind of a report thing about Robin Williams, kind of a retrospective uh, of some okay. of his life. So I started thinking about that. Jeff Bridges was on and with the big Lebowski. I saw a couple scenes of that. I started thinking about Jeff Bridges. And then, you know, we hit, we talked just recently about uh, Terry Gilliam and some of the uh, trials and tribulations he's still having getting his film to be shown. It was shown. They did show uh, <laughs> Don Quixote film at Cannes. So Good. congratulations. So there's a chance we may actually get to see it sometime. Yeah. The reviews have been eh, middle ground. I mean, you know, nothing great, but at least it's just great to see the movie was done and finally out finished. So all that just being said, you know, I just, I, I had to watch part of the Fisher King again. Okay. Fisher King is one of my top 10. Okay. Absolutely. It hit me at a right time when I was in college. It came out. I went to the movie theater not knowing anything about this movie. Oh, wow. I went in just completely with no expectations and was just bowled over. I've seen it at least 20 sometimes now. Um, I still get uh, money, Dusty in the, our <laughs> living room or Dan or whatever. Uh, the scene uh, with Robin Williams 
and him kind of the courtship he has with, um, and I'm trying to remember the, the actress's name. Um, but his love interest, his love interest who I just, I wish I could remember her name and she's a a good actress. Unfortunately, I'm not doing her any justice right now. Um, it's just a really, really good movie. It's odd. It's unique. It's Amanda Plummer. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, Him and Amanda Plummer have a, he has a dialogue with her. Like as he's walking her home from a date, that's just really, really sweet. And, Mm -hmm. uh, the scene in Union Station, the reason I remember I have that photograph is there's a big kind of dream sequence that happens on the Union Station floor. Right. It's To me, it was Terry Gilliam at the top of his game. I mean, I think he had been getting better and better with the films. That was, to, to me, the pinnacle. Okay. It was really, really good. I know he did 12 Monkeys and some mm-hmm. other films after that, but Fisher King was still it for me. Gotcha. Um, also, too, I think when, um, you know, I hate to kind of be really sociotopical about it, but... Yeah, the movie, the whole plot line of the movie is, you know, the main character played by Jeff Goldblum, uh, who is a shock DJ. Um, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, I'm sorry. Not Jeff Goldblum. That would be awesome, though, (laughs) if Jeff Goldblum was the DJ and the Fisher King. But yeah, a former radio DJ, he's, he, he, he makes a really bad move in the beginning of the film, basically kind of spurring on someone to commit a, a, a violence. And it does speak a little bit to kind of our, culture right now that we still face where people are just very outspoken and we wonder if it's kind of provoking more society ills and you know, of course gun violence and other things so all that's kind of echoed in this film hmm. even though this film was what, Came out 30 years ago sure wow man uh, it was 1991 wow. so 20 20 god 27 years ago hmm. um and plus, I think it's one of Robin Williams' best performances. Um, he is good in he's it. so good in this movie. So, you know, you hear us talk about Terry Gilliam, and if you really want to see him at his peak, and with Robin Williams, I think there's some, maybe some anniversaries of his death recently that's kind of caused his name to come up in some more conversations recently. Just, it's a good nostalgia kick, but man, it's such a good movie, and it still holds up really well, too. It's <laughs> an odd movie. Very it odd is movie. strange. I remember but that. But it's a good movie. So, anyway, <laughs> Facial King, that's... Always going to recommend that when I have the chance to. So, yeah. Okay. I think that wraps up our show for today. So we talked about Solo. We talked about Deadpool. Uh, Good positive marks on both films. Higher on Solo than Deadpool 2. But both are, I think, uh, worth your seeing if you're so inclined or into those kind of movies. With some caveats in both films uh, to be aware of. Then we talked about some upcoming projects that different directors and stars are being assigned to. And then we had our, uh, our recommendations, a Bo Burnham comedy special, and then also the Fisher King by Terry Gilliam. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. But Chris, before we do, we have to make sure we remind everybody about what's coming up in the months to come. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Foot Candle Film Festival coming up this fall? Yes, we do have our fourth annual Foot Candle Film Festival. We're doing it September 28th through the 30th here in Hickory, North Carolina. And um, we're going to have lots of films. We're not sure quite the final number yet. We're still getting them in and you know evaluating which ones we'll be able to cram into that weekend. But it will be a good lineup. Has been the three years prior now. We're expecting the same thing this year. We'll get visiting filmmakers to come from out of town and talk about their films. It's always a good time. We hope you can come join us. Um, we'll have more information about the festival when we get closer and the lineup's decided in July. Absolutely. But, uh, stay tuned for that. Should be really good. So we hope to see you in Western North Carolina this September 28th through the 30th. 
Um, and if you also would like to reach out to us, you have anything you want to say, any questions, comments, uh, did you have any opinions about Solo or Deadpool, better or worse than the ones we had? We'd love to hear from you. So, Chris, how can they reach out to us if they're so inclined? To do that, you, the easiest thing for you to do is send us an email at info at themesh.tv and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. And like Alan said, give us some feedback. Tell us what you did or did not like about the movies we discussed or why you think it's going to be amazing that Todd McFarlane is directing his own material with Spawn. Let us know. Let us hear from you. That'll be the hot topic. I know for sure sure. on the, uh, (laughs) on the, uh, on the website for sure. Okay. Well, that will wrap it up for today. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll be back uh, soon with another episode. We'll be reviewing some more films, sharing some more movie news, and recommending some other films we think y'all to check out. So thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.